Welcome to Fado Fado, a series of stories about life in rural Ireland in the first half of the 20th century, as told by members of the Ballinasloe Active Retirement Association. In this episode, Jim Crehan talks of growing up as a young boy on a small family farm in East Galway during the 1930s and 1940s, where he enjoyed a Huckleberry Finn type of existence in an Ireland that had a strong sense of community spirit and religious faith. I grew up on a small farm in a remote enough part of County Galway. I was third in a family of six boys and three girls, oldest born in 1926 and the youngest in 1945. The school I in the middle thirties was two miles away, built in 1894 and it looked it. I don't think there was a hand's turn done with it in all my years there. The ground was low-lying and wet and of course secondary school was beyond the reach of practically all parents. I can only remember two people in the parish having a car, so that like other children we walked to school in the summer in our bare feet, but as there was no traffic it was no big deal. Life in our house like that of most of our neighbours, was very basic. My mother made a skillet of porridge every morning, which we had with skim milk, she having saved the cream for churning, and a slice of bread and butter with tea, which during the war became cocoa, as tea was rationed, and I can still remember fries and Van Houten's cocoa. Prayers were said every morning before school, and as we were in the middle of the language revival, all subjects were taught through Irish, with corporal punishment in full swing. Practically all our food was home produced. The pottery was made from oats growing by my father, taken to the local mill where it was dried in the kiln, the cattle and grain separated from the shaft and ground down to make oatmeal. All our meat was home produced. Like our neighbours, we always kept pigs, and when one was fit for slaughtering, my uncle always came along with his bag of knives in a little <coughs> bag on the carrier of his bike. He always went in to see my mother, who was his sister. They had a little chat and drank a bottle of Guinness when she had poured. Then the poor, squealing animal was caught and the gruesome deed was done, after which the blood was caught in a white enamel bucket from which my mother made black puddings. The carcass was hung up from the rafters of the shed to be deboned with some of the ribs to be distributed among our neighbours, which would be reciprocated when they killed the pig. We did not know then, but we lived the organic way of life that is so much in fashion now. Our impact on global warming was practically nil. When we came home from the school, my mother would have peeled whatever potatoes was left over from their meal with pieces of bacon which was kept warm on the hob beside the fire, and where she kept two ovens for baking her own bread. Next came a list of tasks. Cow ships to be cleaned out. Fodder brought in for the animals, including the horse and the ass, who would troop into their own apartments. Cows to be milked, calves to be fed, turf to be brought in, water from the spring well from cooking. As night fell, my father came in from work on the field or whatever. My mother cleaned the globe in the paraffin lamp and lit it, got the evening meal, which consisted of bread and butter with, during the war, cocoa, after which 
the rosary was always said. There was no electricity, there was no radio, there was no television, there was no electric cooker. The only appliance that could give trouble in our house was that the globe would break in the paraffin lamp. Homework got done. And as my father was great for picking up odd jobs of old books at auctions, there was very often something to read. Sunday was a more relaxed day. All the boys in our house were mass servers in the old Latin mass. After which we had a lot of freedom, even though our parents were very strict in many ways. And there was a family next door with nine children, also of a similar age and similar values. Both families had a lot in common. And as our, father, our farm lay between the forest and the river, we learned to swim. We learned to catch fish by poaching. We learned to catch rabbits with snares. We knew where apples, apples could be got and wild plums picked. And we generally had a huckleberry fin sort of a growing up. If going to school was a rather reluctant business, going home was a different story as we wandered leisurely past the remains of the big house where my grandparents' landlord once lived, where the lawn in the spring would be strewn with daffodils with cow slips, primroses, violets, lulips, anemones and other wildflowers following as the summer went on to be picked by the girls as they strolled home. A local carpenter had his shop on the way home. We often watched as he walked and making a wheel for a horse's cart. He chiseled out the mortises of the stock, oak, the spokes, ash, were planed and fitted, and the fellows, beech, were mortised, shaped and doweled together to complete the circle, after which the whole wooden structure was brought over the road to the blacksmith who would fold the iron tire the exact size, heated until it was red hot, and fitted down on the wooden wheel, pouring water on it as it singed its way in until it was securely fitted. I once asked my grandfather, who was a blacksmith, why it was done that way. The tyre gets smaller as it cools, and it tightens the wheel to make it firm, he said. Looking back on those years, the thirties and the forties, it evoked memories of barefoot children who created their own games, of ration books, of scarcity of tea, of sugar, of bicycle ties and of paraffin oil, of compulsory tillage, of slogans, grow more wheat, and drink a pint and make a day. On the other hand, there was a sense of community feeling of shared hardships and struggles, of community and parish loyalty, of mass every Sunday, and a general respect for the authority of parents and of teachers and of the elderly and of authority in general. Such was daily life in the house I grew up in and I have little doubt was reflective of life in thousands of other homes in rural Ireland in those days. Little did we think that we would live to see the problems of global warming, of traffic jams and road rage, of mobile phones and the internet, and of all the multiplicity of problems people now face. 